Galatians 3, verses 5 through 9. So then, does the Almighty supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed Yahweh and it was credited to him for righteousness. So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the Scripture saw in advance that the Almighty would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. I'll cover verses 6 and 7 in this lesson. Last week, we began looking at Father Abraham, and we found that he is called Father because he's the rock from which the Israelites were cut or hewn. He's singled out in the lineage of Shem as the great patriarch of the Hebrew people. We also saw that Abraham was called out of his heathen father's house. In Genesis 12, at the age of 75, Abraham's father, Terah, was an idol worshiper. Well, Abraham was called out of his father's house at the age of 75, but he was not given the sign of circumcision until Genesis 17 when he was at the age of 99. So for 24 years, from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis 17, I know it's just a few chapters, but it's a 24-year span, Abram, as he was called at that time, he walked around an uncircumcised man, yet he had a relationship with Father Yahweh. The Judahite influencers at the time of Paul, they knew this. They were not ignorant, they were not dummies, so to speak. They knew about the book of beginnings, Bereshit, that we call by its Greek name, Genesis. They argued from Genesis 17. But they did not go back far enough. They only went so far and then they stopped. Paul, Shaul, he went back further. He went deeper. Paul challenged their doctrine not based upon his own personal feelings but based on the exact same book, Genesis, and person, Father Abraham, that the Judahite influencers or the Judaizers were arguing from. The more that I study the writings of Paul, I truly believe that as far as the New Testament goes, he's probably the author that has the deepest and most developed arguments out of all the New Testament authors. Very educated man, sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel the Elder, He was exalting above his contemporaries in the religion of the Judahites. Paul was a very, very educated thinker and author. So let's look at Paul's point now from Galatians 3 verse 6 where he writes, Just as Abraham believed Yahweh and it was credited to him for righteousness. Paul first asks the Galatian Gentiles in verses 2 through 5, How did you receive the Spirit? Was it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? What Paul means when he says by the works of the law was, did you first get circumcised and become proselytes to Judah and then receive the Spirit? Or did you hear the gospel message, believe the gospel message, and receive the Spirit? And they knew the answer. The answer was it was by hearing with faith. And then Paul goes on, And he says in verse 6, just as 
or in the King James, even as Abraham believed Yahweh and it was credited to him as righteousness. What was credited to Abraham as righteousness? He believed his faith. Paul is telling the Galatians, you were made righteous by faith in the same way that Abraham was made righteous by faith. Now that is a great argument. And it comes straight from Scripture. Paul goes back to a time period before Abraham was ever circumcised where Abraham had faith in a promise that Yahweh made to him. We're going to go back to the same place that Paul quoted from, and that is Genesis chapter 15. We'll begin at verse 1. It says, After these events, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now, if you hold your place in Genesis 15, I don't know if you're following along with me in your Bible. If you're not, you can make a mental note or take a note. But if you're in Genesis 15, and you look over to Genesis 16, verse 3, you'll see that Abram went in unto Hagar, which was Sarah's handmaid. Sarah was Abram's wife. Hagar was Sarah's handmaid. Abram went in unto Hagar about 10 years after he moved to the land of Canaan, out from his father's house and seeking out Canaan land. So he was 75 years old in Genesis 12 when he was called out of his father's house. Ten years later is when he went into Hagar. That means he was 75 plus 10, 85 years old when he went in unto Hagar. This is verified in Genesis 16, verse 16, that tells us that Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Remember, Abram wasn't just the father of Isaac. He was the father of Ishmael. Two different women but he was the sole father of both of those sons. That means that this encounter between Yahweh and Abram in Genesis 15 happened somewhere around Abram being about 85 years old. That in turn means that it was about 14 years before the sign of circumcision. 99 when he was circumcised, Genesis 17. In Genesis 15, he's about 85 years old, about 14 years before circumcision. So, the word of Yahweh comes to Abram in a vision. By the way, the Septuagint text reads the voice of Yahweh. So when the Bible says the word of Yahweh, it's not talking about a second person. It's talking about Yahweh speaking. So Yahweh speaks good words to Abram, words of comfort, peace, and victory. But in spite of these words, Abram is worried. He's worried. Why is he worried? Look at verse 2 through 3. But Abram said, Yahweh Almighty, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave or a servant born in my house will be my heir recognize, just as a side note, that when the Bible teaches that Abram had a slave, it was not that Abram ruled over him as a taskmaster. As a matter of fact, Abram looked in high esteem at his servant Eleazar. He had such high esteem for his servant that he was contemplating on giving him his inheritance. Abraham had about 318 trained servants that worked for him. He treated them well, gave them housing, food. There's a bad slavery and there's also a good and decent servanthood in the Bible. Uh, that may not be politically correct, but 
I guess I've never been politically correct. That's not what I try to be. B.C. over P.C., right? Biblically correct over politically correct, okay? So, Abram is worried here in verses 2 through 3 because he doesn't have a son. He has no son. This is before not just Isaac, but this is also before Ishmael. He's married, but Yahweh hasn't given him any offspring. But Abram does have a servant named Eleazar, and he's considering, he's thinking about passing down his possessions to his servant. Verse 4, Now the word of Yahweh came to him, This one will not be your heir. In other words, Eleazar is not going to be the one to inherit your possessions, Abram. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside. I like that. Yahweh. He's talking about Yahweh. Took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. I don't know about you, but I've tried to look up at the sky. I was in Montana one time on top of a mountain, and the sky was so clear and the stars were innumerable. You couldn't count them if you wanted to and if you tried. I don't care how smart you are. You couldn't number the stars of the sky. So Yahweh speaks to Abram again here in verse 4 and tells him, listen, your servant's not going to be your heir. But instead, you're going to have a son. Someone's going to come from your own body. And that will be your heir. And that's the first promise that Yahweh gave to him. Someone from your own body will be your heir. That's the promise number one. And then, promise number two, Yahweh takes him outside. Let's go outside, Abraham. Let's look at the sky. Look at all the stars. Can you count them? It's a rhetorical question. No, I can't count them, Yahweh. Well, that's how numerous your offspring will be. That's the second promise that Yahweh gives to Abram. First one, you're going to have a son from your own body. Second one, your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And then in verse 6, the Bible says, Abram believed Yahweh. And he credited it to him. That first he is Yahweh, credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. What was credited to Abram as righteousness? Believing Yahweh. His faith. Now there's our verse that Paul quotes in Galatians 3 verse 6. He's showing the Galatians, you believed just as Abraham believed or Abram believed. Yahweh gave Abraham a message, a message of blessing, a message of promise, and he believed Yahweh. In Galatians, you've been given a message of blessing, a message of promise from Yahweh, and you believed. You Galatians have been given the gospel that Yahweh loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Galatians, you believed Yahweh's promise. And just like Yahweh credited Abraham's faith to him as righteousness, He credits your faith to you as righteousness. And Paul doesn't say it here in Galatians, but he does say it in the book of Romans. And let me tell you saints here today that it wasn't just written for Abraham's sake, but it was written to all of you who have faith like Father Abraham had faith. He credits your faith to you as righteousness as well. That's what Paul is preaching to the Galatian Gentiles. And remember, they had not proselytized to Judah. Like the Judahite influencers were insisting that they do before they could have salvation. They had not done that. They had not been circumcised. They had not taken on the particular works of the law that would distinguish them as proselyte Judahites. Remember, remember in Acts chapter 2, there were Judahites from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem for Shavuot, for the day of Pentecost. 
But not only were there Judaites, there were also proselytes. Proselytes were people from other nations that had converted to the faith of Judah. The Judaite influencers were insisting that the Galatian Gentiles proselytized for salvation. They had not done that. Paul is arguing that they already are saved, not by proselytization, i.e. circumcision, becoming a proselyte Judaite, but by listening to the gospel and believing it, believing Yahweh's promise. In other words, you were credited as righteous just like Father Abraham. It's a beautiful argument. It's a very, very good argument. So, Paul goes on to write this in Galatians 3 verse 7. So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. If you have faith like Abraham had faith, it makes you a son of Abraham. And remember, Paul is writing this epistle to uncircumcised people from nations outside of the land, at that time, the land of Israel. People that the covenant Judahites considered as goy, that's the Hebrew word for a heathen. We say heathen, Hebrew, it's goy in Greek, it's ethnos. The Judahites considered the Galatians heathens, second class. And Paul writes to them, understand this, and you all need to understand this as well. Those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Your faith makes you a son of Abraham, no matter what your fleshly status is. Paul is arguing for sons of Abraham spiritually rather than sons of Abraham physically. That's what Paul's arguing here. And catch this, because it's very important to Paul's point. There were Judahites in Paul's day in the flesh with impeccable genealogy. Impeccable. They could track their lineage with papers, just as was required back in the days of Nehemiah. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 7, if you study Nehemiah chapter 7, I'm not going to go through it because it's a whole message in itself. You can do some homework. The way that a person proved that they were an Israelite was based on the genealogical record books, the authoritative paperwork of the nation of Israel. They had to be able to show legitimate paperwork that their pedigree went back to a son of Jacob Israel, not a mite, Not maybe I am. Not I think I am or I feel I am. Not I can blush so that proves it. No. They had to show legitimate authoritative paperwork. You'll find this specifically in Nehemiah 7 verses 5 and verses 61 through 65. And the Bible says that if a male could not prove his ancestry that way, he was excluded from serving in the priesthood. He was not excluded out of the nation. He wasn't kicked out of the nation. He wasn't told that he couldn't serve Yahweh, but he could not serve in the priesthood. The Bible is very strict on that, very plain on that. You can read that in Nehemiah 7. But listen to this. There were Judahites in Paul's day who could prove their ancestry by paperwork. Paul was one of them. Paul was an eighth day, or he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the house of Judah. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as touching the law blameless. 
Philippians chapter 3. He could do this. There were other Judahites that could do this. They could show you, I come from Judah. Here's the papers. I come from Benjamin. I come from Levi. Here's the papers. Here's the proof. But, if these fleshly Israelites did not have faith in Yahweh's promise, the message about Yahweh's salvation, Yeshua the Messiah, if they didn't have faith, they were not considered the children of Abraham salvationally. Are you listening? I hope you're paying attention. They were, or they may have been a descendant of Abraham naturally, but not spiritually. And what mattered the most was spiritual, not natural. Are you catching this? You could have an impeccable genealogical Israelite man, and he could reject Yahweh's promise. We're talking about the Messiah. If he rejected Yahweh's promise, he was not considered a son of Abraham salvationally. He may have been one physically, but not spiritually. What mattered more? Spiritually over physically. Now, I'd like to show a video that I watched this week. I ran across it when I was studying. And it depicts the ministry of John the Baptizer, who at that time he would have been called, nobody called him John. You could say John, he wouldn't have never turned his head. His name was Yohanan, which means Yahweh is gracious. That was his name. And I think this video depicts it well, and so I would like to show it uh, to you today. Once again, it's just a video, but I think it's good. I am the Lord unchanging, says the Eternal, and you too have not ceased to be sons of Jacob. From the days of your forefathers, you have been wayward and have not kept my laws. If you will return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord. Do not think you will be saved by your rituals, by going to the temple. It is not sacrifices the Lord demands. Bring no more vain offerings, says the Lord. I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs. The sacrifice God demands is a repentant heart. What do we do then to be saved? Change your hearts. Take the right way. The Lord saith, my ways are not your ways. Why speak as though none of us know the way to salvation? We know the law as well as you, and we try to obey it. We are the sons of Abraham. We have always kept the law. To those of you that deem themselves just and pious, I say that you must bring the fruits of repentance. Do not content yourself with saying, Abraham was our father, and that is enough to save us. The Lord could take any one of these stones and turn it into a son of Abraham. I don't preach like that, but that lets us know that's probably how John the Baptizer preached. I heard Brother Arnold preach recently, and I thought about John the Baptizer. <laughs> when he was preaching. And, you know, that's maybe it's not my way, but obviously, I think I don't even think Brother Arnold was as strong as, as Yohanan. Brood of vipers, serpents, he was calling people. So, don't always, if you hear a preacher like that, don't always automatically think, well, he's being unkind. It's not the case. John was being very kind. He was being very loving when he was preaching like that. That 
you know, I know that's just a movie, but it's something to kind of get our minds geared in that direction. But John came, and he was a wild man. He lived out in the wilderness. John had impeccable genealogy. His, both his mother and father could trace their lineage with papers to Aaron, <laughs> who was the father of the high priesthood in the nation of Israel. And John came preaching a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, Acts 13, 24. If you want to know who John preached to, he preached to the Israelites. Okay, And it was considered a slap in the face, so to speak, because the only people that Israelites baptized performed in Hebrew a mikvah upon. The only people they baptized were the goy or the heathens. When the heathens wanted to proselytize to their faith, they would baptize or perform a mikvah on the heathen. So for Yohanan, John, to tell Israelites that they needed to be baptized was saying to them, you're not in a right relationship with the Most High. You need to be cleansed. You need to be purified, which is what baptism signified. And John tells these Israelites in Luke 3, verses 7 through 8, he says, don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What is John's point? John's point is that physical Israelite ancestry, a physical son of Abraham, doesn't mean anything as it pertains to salvation. That's what John's point is. When they said, we have Abraham as our father, they weren't saying we came through Ishmael or we came through one of Abraham's sons through Keturah. No, that was shorthand for we're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can't preach to us. You can't tell us we need to get baptized. We're already pure. We know the law. We keep all the laws. John says, repent, bring forth fruits, meet to repentance. That's because as we study the New Testament, we see that in spite of preachers today telling us that the Pharisees were so meticulous with Yahweh's law, we see that Yeshua says what they were meticulous with was the outward aspects of the law, the letter of the law, which is fine. We should obey the letter of the law, but not omitting the spirit of the law. And this was the Pharisees' problem. They omitted the spirit of the law. And a lot of times they would commit sin by going strictly by the letter and not the spirit. And so John's telling them, look, I don't want to hear about your genealogy. Don't tell me that Abraham is your father. If Yahweh can create a man out of dirt, Adam, then he can create a man out of this rock, a descendant of Abraham. John was telling them, the rocks will take your place if you don't truly have repentance in your heart. Now, catch this. If a flesh and blood Israelite could be disqualified for his lack of faith in Yahweh's gospel promise, then an uncircumcised heathen, non-Israelite, which is what the Galatians were, which is what Titus was in Galatians 2. His father was a Greek, uncircumcised, considered a heathen. An uncircumcised heathen non-Israelite could be qualified for his faith in Yahweh's gospel promise. That's Paul's point to the Galatians. The influencers were actually teaching salvation by being a Judahite. That's what they were teaching. They were teaching that if you were a natural son of Abraham, slash Isaac and Jacob, that was a ticket into the kingdom automatically. And the influencers weren't denying the Gentile salvation. They weren't even going so far as to say you can't be saved. 
They were just saying, if you want to be saved, you've got to do it the way that we prescribe. That is, you have to become one of us through circumcision. Ritual circumcision, the way that we prescribe it. And Paul is saying, don't listen to the influencers, Galatians. I know they're telling you you're not really saved until you become a proselyte, but you are. You've had faith, just as Abraham had faith. Galatians 3 verse 7 again, in case we didn't understand it the first time, let's say it again. So understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now, there's a principle in Scripture that when you show forth a characteristic of someone, listen carefully, I think you'll get blessed by this next section of the sermon. If you show forth a characteristic of someone, you are considered to be a son of that someone. Not that you are a physical son, but rather a spiritual son. A son by imitating or by following the example of someone. Now, let me show you something from the Old Testament first, and then we'll go to the New Testament. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, we read in the HCSB, Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for Yahweh. Who was Eli? He was the high priest at that time. That means he was a descendant of Aaron. And he was actually a descendant of Aaron through Ithamar. Aaron only had two sons after Nadab and Abihu died, right, in the book of Leviticus. He had Eleazar and Ithamar. And Eli was a descendant of Aaron through Aaron's son, Ithamar. That in turn meant that his sons were descendants of Aaron. But here his sons are called wicked men. Wicked men. However, the Holman Christian Standard Bible does not give us a literal translation from the Hebrew here. And that's why when you do Bible study, you should not limit yourself to only one translation of the Bible. Get yourself ten good ones. Doesn't mean they're all ten are going to be accurate every time. But get yourself ten good Bible translations and compare. Compare. Some of them I think you should steer clear from, right? We joke about the Message Bible in our house. The Message Bible says, Jesus turned the water into wine coolers. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't say that. <laughs> but it says some crazy stuff like that. And I'm not knocking the Message Bible wholesale. I have, I have respect for Elder Eugene Peterson that put that together. I've watched some interviews with, with Mr. Peterson and I have respect for his age and, and all of that. But I wouldn't recommend buying the Message Bible. I mean, you can get a New American Standard, HCSB. You can get a Young's Literal Translation, get you a Septuagint, Brenton's Translation of the Septuagint. You can get a lot of different Bible translations that will help you and aid you in your Bible study. Well, the King James Version I'm going to read here next does translate this verse literally. And in the King James Version it says this, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not Yahweh. Sons of Belial. I thought the verse just said that they were sons of Eli. They were sons of Eli physically, but they were sons of Belial spiritually. They're called the sons of two different entities in this one verse. The reason they were the sons of Belial is because they carried the qualities and the characteristics of Belial. Now, who in the world is Belial? Well, turn over to another epistle of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. King James Version again. We read this. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion 
hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ, or the Messiah, with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now, when you look this word up, this Belial word here, in 2 Corinthians 6.15, in, let's say, Thayer's Greek-English lexicon, it says this, Worthlessness, wickedness, a name of Satan, in 2 Corinthians 6.15. My Zondervan's pictorial Bible encyclopedia says this. It says that in Judahite apocalyptic books, such as Jubilees, the Ascension of Isaiah, and the Sibylline Oracles, Belial is used as a proper name for Satan. Now, the Syriac version of the New Testament says Satan in 2 Corinthians 6.15. The book of Jubilees calls Belial the angel of lawlessness and the ruler of this world. And the Dead Sea Scrolls contain many references to Belial as the arch enemy of Yahweh. Now, just in case someone's wondering, there is a pop, uh, passage in the Bible in Exodus 23.13. One of the commandments is, is that we are not to make mention of the names of other Elohim. Okay? However, I'm not, I'm not making mention of Belial in the sense of invoking. Um, even the prophet Eliyah on Mount Carmel, remember he said, if Baal be Elohim, serve him. So he, he spoke that name, but he was not invoking that name. Okay? So I'm not making an invocation or a worship of the name Belial. I'm simply using it for teaching purposes. So it is believed among scholars that this use of Belial in 2 Corinthians 6, which by the way, the word Belial comes from two Hebrew words and together they mean without worth or worthlessness. That's what it means. Scholars believe that this use in the New Testament was a proper descriptive name for Satan, but that it is a later second temple period use. Number one, that may be true, but Paul grabbed it for his argument in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And two, the text in 1 Samuel 2 verse 12 still says in Hebrew, Bain Belial, sons of Belial. And you can translate that as a proper name, sons of Belial, or you could translate that as just a word meaning sons of worthlessness. The argument is still the same though. Because the point is, they were sons of someone or something because of their characteristics or qualities. They were physical sons of Eli because Eli begat them. But they were sons of worthlessness or sons of Belial because they carried the characteristics and the qualities of being without worth. Once again, sons spiritually rather than naturally. There's a couple more instances of this in the New Testament. For instance, in Mark 3.17, James and John, the disciples of our Lord, are called the sons of thunder. doesn't mean that thunder physically begat James and John. No, they had earthly fathers, right? Sons of thunder is referencing their boisterousness. <laughs> they were uh, guys that had a, a, a short candle. It didn't take much to set them off. They had hot tempers. They were sons of thunder. Once again, it's a spiritual connotation. And also, I think the same holds true in John 8, 44, where Yeshua tells some Pharisees, Ye are of your father the devil, for you do the same desires that he did. It is not that the devil literally begat these Pharisees in John 8. I know some people believe that. If you believe that, I don't think your salvation is in jeopardy. Brother Matthew doesn't believe that. I think the Pharisees in John 8 were 
bona fide Israelites. And one of the reasons I think that is because in his, in his dissertation, in his dialogue with them in John 8, at the very beginning he tells them, is it not written in your law that the testimony of two is true? Yes. Who was given the law? Israel. So I don't think he would have told them, is it not written in your law, unless they were the people that the law was given to. So when he says, you're of your father, the devil, it's a spiritual connotation. Why? Because they're following in the footsteps of the adversary or the devil or Satan, however you want to term that. So they're wicked men, sons of the devil, sons of worthlessness, sons of Belial. Now I personally believe that Paul and other Israelites read texts like 1 Samuel 2 verse 12, Bain Belial, and they took these texts to mean that even Israelite men could be called sons of worthlessness or sons of Belial if they were workers of lawlessness. Now they were a son of a physical Israelite father, but they were sons of Belial because of their characteristics or their qualities. Now, let me show you this same principle from the positive side. We talked about negative side. The positive side is found in the teachings of Yeshua, a son spiritually. Look at this in Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Here Yeshua tells us to love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. And then He says, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you see that? What Yeshua is telling us is this. When we show forth certain attributes of the Father, characteristics of the Father, love for our enemies, how does Yahweh love His enemies? Rain and sun. When it rains, it rains on the wicked man's house just as much on the righteous man's house. That's a blessing. Sun shines on the wicked man's house just as much on the righteous man's house. Well, that's how Yahweh loves His enemies. If we, as people, carry that characteristic of love for our enemies and doing good to those who persecute us, it shows forth that we're sons of our Father in heaven. Yeshua says, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. The opposite is true as well. John 8, if you don't do that, you're sons of the adversary or sons of the devil. Spiritually, not physically. It's not that Yahweh birthed us and we're His physical sons. No, no. It's we are His sons spiritually. See, Paul, when he says in Galatians 3.17, so understand this, those who have faith are Abraham's sons. He's talking spiritually. Paul is not coming up with anything new. It's not a new doctrine. This is a doctrine that's been known all through the Bible that when you carry a characteristic or a quality of somebody or something, you're a son of that somebody or a son of that something. This is Paul's point in Galatians 3 verse 7 as I close. If the Gentiles carry the characteristic of faith in the promise of Yahweh, just like Abraham, it makes them children of Abraham. Not necessarily naturally. The natural could be there. But that's not Paul's point. Paul's point is not the natural. His point is the spiritual. That's what matters the most. And the reason we know his point is spiritual is because even if you are an impeccable genealogical son of Jacob Israel, it does not matter one iota as to your salvation because you still must have the faith that Father Abraham had. That's Paul's point. Spiritually is what matters the most, not physically. The circumcised Judahites looked upon the uncircumcised Gentile Yafirs like Cornelius, like Titus. They were both uncircumcised men. The Judahites that believed, these Judahites believed in the Messiah. 
They were believers in the Messiah. They looked upon men like Cornelius and Titus as second class and not sons of Abraham. And Paul's saying, no, they're first class. They're right there with you, salvationally. Right there with you. They are sons of Abraham. How? By faith. They exhibit the characteristics and the qualities of Abraham, so therefore they're a son of Abraham. By faith. Understand that. Understand that. Galatians 3 verse 7. Paul said they were children of Abraham by faith. Now, maybe next week, it depends on how Brother Jerry's feeling, if he's feeling up to it or not. If he's not feeling up to it, I'll continue and we'll go through Galatians 3, 8 through 9. If he's feeling up to it, he has full range of the pulpit. And I'll step aside because I want to learn from him. I learn every time he teaches and preaches. But in Galatians 3, I'll give you a precursor to what I'll teach on next. In Galatians 3, 8 through 9, what we're going to see is that this gospel to the nations that Paul preached here in the book of Galatians and also in his other epistles was already preached to Father Abraham back in the book of Genesis. And who preached it to him? Yahweh. I've never looked at Yahweh being called Yahweh the preacher, but he is. He's Yahweh the preacher. And we're going to see that he preached, Yahweh preached the gospel to the nations, to Father Abraham in Genesis 12 and in Genesis chapter 18. Yahweh, Father, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you. You're good, you're great, you're wonderful. There is none like you in heaven above or on the earth below. Yahweh, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for faith. Thank you for Father Abraham. I love you so much, Father Yahweh. Continue to grow us in the proper understandings of, of your word. And may we be more knowledgeable as we leave and we were when we came. Continue to teach us and guide us. Pray these things through your only begotten Son.